This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Forever Dog Rose and Jamie are two best friends And they love sex and the city And they couldn't help but wonder Do you love it too? Carrie, Miranda, Samantha, Charlotte, Cosmos, cheese, So many dudes. Every little dude All the dudes And we couldn't help but wonder With Jamie Lee and Rose Cerno. I'm Jamie Lee. And I'm Rose Cerno. And this is Couldn't Couldn't Help Help But But Wonder. Wonder, A podcast where we talk about sex in the city and how it relates to To us. us. Well, Jamie, I definitely want to know who you were this week because it was your birthday and you went to a fabulous, wonderful place. God, yes. It looked amazing. It was the best vacation of my life it was yes belize was incredible i stayed at this oh who was i this week i was um who was i maybe i mean maybe a little bit carrie when she goes to paris i didn't go go. to paris but i did leave new york city and travel abroad so there's that um but yeah i stayed at this place called the turtle inn which is owned by the Coppola family. Wow. Yeah, they own a couple of different resorts. They own two in Belize, one by the beach and one in the jungle. Wow. And then they own one, I believe, in Argentina and another one in Italy. But they're just kind of like boutique-y, like not hotels in in that every room is in the same building. Like they have the bungalow set up. So you're kind of in your own little cabin. I love that. And yeah, it was just so lovely like it was easy to get there and i did the right amount of like activities but also just like fucking drinking out of a coconut being just a slob yeah because we had talked about how you had said how vehemently boring miranda's honeymoon looked like just sitting around in a beautiful place so what did you do on your vacation that was active that that kept you from getting bored Yes, I love that question. Um, I did one of the coolest things I've ever done, which was swimming in a cave. Wow. And what I thought it was going to be, well, I, I just, it was just pitched as like, you're going into a cave. Like, do you're they call them caves. cenotes? Mm, no, not that's to what me. they call they them didn't. in Tulum. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But um, they may have said it behind your back. They might. Yeah. yeah. Now I'm like, yeah. uh, not they, to you. <laughs> they were like, that was for them. Yeah. It was a cave. For her, it's yeah. a cave. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, I assumed it was going to be like kind of just going into like a narrow space and I was going to feel really claustrophobic and it was going to be really dark and scary. Um, I also thought 
and they told us to wear bathing suits. I thought it was going to be like you might get a little wet. I didn't know that I was full on like body fully submerged doing the fucking breaststroke <laughs> through a cave. Um, Were you yeah. wearing like a cute outfit or something? I was wearing I was wearing my my new Hunzaji bathing suit, but I had to wear um yoga pants over it because they were like you're gonna you, you get wet but you also kind of get like dirty oh <laughs> so, wow. so they're like trying to yeah and also it's the, the water's really cold so the more clothing you can wear the better just so like, what's the amazing part of it the amazing part was that i i went swimming in a cave with a headlamp wow and at one point the guide told me to turn my headlamp off and so it was just pitch black wow. to the point where I couldn't tell if my eyes were opened or closed. That sounds like, so that scary, dark. Jamie. That sounds yeah, but terrifying. Then, but the headlamps are so bright that when you're going through the cave, it's just like, it's just amazing. And the water is like really blue. And, Ooh. and also there's a lot of rocks underneath you. So there's a lot of places where you can like kind of stand or climb. Um, there were also some rocks that had water like rushing through them. And it was like a, actual rapid and so you had to kind of climb up against the Jamie, current this of the rapid. So adventurous. It was it was so adventurous and it was so hard it that I was insane. like, I cannot imagine just having anybody do this trip. Like I luckily like I lift weights and I am you fairly active. Yeah. Nothing has made me feel more in shape than being able to do this adventure. Because yeah, I was like able to hoist myself up with my arms and like just in ways that I was like, oh, that's because I started lifting weights. Like I could never have done that like whatever, two years ago before wow. I just like would have been like, this hurts or like, this is tiring. But I was really, this proud is like myself. vacation hunger games. It really was. It was so hard. And there was another woman in the group. She was just traveling to Belize solo. And yeah, she was like, just, yeah, very like maybe one of the most fit women I've ever seen. And yeah, she was like way up ahead of me. Like she was just fucking killing it. Oh, how did you end up choosing Belize of all places? I, 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 I'd always want to go there as I've, I've, I can't talk. I've always wanted to go there. And, um, I just heard it was really amazing. One of my best awesome. friends went there and yeah. And it, I just think it's like a great mix of like, culture and history and like getting to see Mayan ruins. Um, wow. It's also such a melting pot there. Like there's like three different Mayan dialects spoke there and mm. there's Spanish, there's English. There's also a lot of Chinese people there. Interesting. Like it's, it's really, um, yeah, it's a really interesting place. It's not unlike other places in South America. I think it's like particularly diverse. How was the food? I mean, next level. Really? Like, yeah, like fresh seafood caught that day. Oh my that god, day. that sounds amazing. They had one restaurant that was on the beach and so you're like in this like your feet are in the sand and they're serving you seafood grilled. Like you can choose whether you want conch or calamari or mm. shrimp and then they bring you like all of these like fixins and sides and oh god, it was like It sounds amazing. It was so fun. It was Did so, you go so into fun. the jungle at all? Yes, I did not like that part. Oh, my God. Why not? Because I, um, I was walking and at one point I started to feel really itchy and I realized that like there were fire ants crawling on me. And then also on that particular excursion, it was like an animal excursion where you're supposed to see like monkeys and iguanas and crocodiles and manatee and like, you know, I just it felt like <laughs> there were just a lot of like kind of. I mean, not to. Oh, my whatever. God. I just can't wait to hear what you say. A lot of like fucking, you know, like 
Disneyland Darren's like just kind of being like, wow, like <laughs> look at the iguana. Like it was just like it was just like a little I don't know. I, I felt like I wasn't learning as much as just like hearing other people in the tour group being like, oh, that's a big monkey. Like <laughs> I don't know. I, I, that sounds like insightful commentary. I don't know. I think it just made me I was like and also our tour guide, our tour guide was just making jokes that were not landing with me. Um, Disneyland Darren is like the funniest diss of all time. (laughs) He should have workshopped some of his comedy. He should have really given him notes, just pulled him aside. He was making, like, you know, okay, this is an Tour guide jokes. This is an example of a joke that killed with the group and (laughs) left me stone face. He was like talking about the monkeys and he's like, and the female monkey, you know, whatever, she actually gets really gassy, like kind of like my wife when she was pregnant or something like that. Oh, where you're just like, no. And it was like killing <laughs> with the group. Wait, Jamie, I would have wanted you to say, excuse me, can I just have a tight five? Somebody light me at four and just like die. Oh, my God. And then I just take over. I mean, I, I any kind of like fart humor doing well with adults is maybe <laughs> one of my least favorite things on the planet. Like I really have, it like makes me cringe when people like crack up at fart jokes. I mean, honestly, I think scatological humor is completely disgusting. I, I love the movie bridesmaids, but like the diarrhea in the sink scene, I was like, did they do that? Cause they, they thought to themselves like, we want dudes to like this too. Like, did they think that was funny? Cause I thought that was so fucking disgusting and like not funny. And like, what is the joke? Like we're shitting in a sink. Like I hate stuff like that. Yeah. I know what you mean. I think a lot of people felt that way about that scene. I think that, yeah, I think it was kind of like a we're we're bros. We're funny. I can't tell if it came from them or the network, you know? Mm -hmm. Also, Mm -hmm. I only got four hours of sleep because I watched an entire season of top chef, but honestly, doesn't my face looks kind of like I put on (laughs) lipstick just to make up for it, but I don't, I look a little pinched. (laughs) No, I think you look beautiful. I would never know. I mean, maybe you do. Your eyes look a little tired. Don't they? I'm exhausted. Anyways, so that's it. Um, The animal portion was not my fave, but. uh, Belize two thumbs up. Belize two thumbs up. Also, just anyone who is planning on ever going there, don't do the don't fall for the manatee trap it is you do not see them they poke their nose out of the water for three (laughs) seconds at best it was very underwhelming so yeah just a heads up don't ever don't do the manatee tour it sucks anyways that's my last piece of advice jamie can we collaborate on a children's book called jamie in the jungle about like a jewish (laughs) jap that like hates being in the jungle And like everyone's having a great time and just like inspired and you're just like slapping mosquitoes on yourself. <laughs> it was. I I said fuck so many times when the fire ants were on me and there were chill like there were a lot of children on this tour because obviously the animals. And um yeah, I mean I just I didn't even care. And the fart humor. Like, yeah, the fart humor. It was they just, loved it though. It was they like a jamboree it. for children. Yeah, and then there was also like a couple teenagers who like fucking hated it because they were just like <laughs> hot and exhausted and like just Wait, like, you and the teens are like smoking in the corner? Yeah, basically. <laughs> basically. Yeah. I mean, there were a couple of, there was like one woman who had like three kids with her and two of them were teenagers and they just I mean, they were just like 
just fully like Daria, just like get me I can't the fuck imagine out my parents taking me to like this amazing, beautiful trip to like a tropical jungle and just like folding my arms and like having my headphones on. That, okay, so that is my new theory: is that vacation is only as good as like your headspace on that vacation. Of course, there is no amount of sunshine, drinks delicious food, beautiful backdrop that like actually elevates your mood. And you really see it when you see how miserable teenagers are, because it does not matter if they're in paradise or in fucking Omaha, Nebraska. They are just like, it's the same brain in both places and nothing can take them out of it. They're just kind of like, whatever. My grandma and grandpa and my mom and my aunts and uncles, when they were really young uh, teenagers and stuff, they took them to the Grand Canyon and, um, my aunt Carol just folded her arms and wouldn't look and refused to get out of the car. Oh my God. She wouldn't look, look outside the window. No, just like straight ahead. It's pretty tough not to see the grand Canyon at the grand Canyon. Yeah, you have to really make an effort. Yeah, no, it's, it's big. Really yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it is, it is grand. They yeah. call it that for a reason. They were begging her to turn her head. Oh and she God. was like, you oh will have to like use your hands to turn it for me. Oh, my God. Also, I think what we're really learning is like teenagers don't deserve to go on vacation. No. And uh, like if you have teenagers, like leave them at home with a babysitter and have a great time. Honestly, children, I would say like kids and teens, like they don't appreciate it. They don't. Maybe little kids like the swimming pool aspect, like they really can you know, spend hours in there and like get really tired and have fun. But like, other than that, I, I don't think children appreciate, I mean, the kids that I saw in Belize, there's no way that they were like, God, I'm so glad I'm at the Turtle Inn. It's like, they don't give a shit. They don't give they a shit. They love the Coppola they, families resorts. Oh my God. Yeah. It's the finest wines. Um, Yeah. It, it just, I, I, yeah, it remind. I used to go on vacation with my parents and yeah, it was okay, but I was never like when I got back home, I was like, oh, take me back. Like it was not that. It was just like, I don't know. You just I don't know what it is about child brains. They just don't appreciate it. When I was a teenager, my dad took us all to this very nice resort in Hawaii called the Mauna Kea. And my sisters were really little at the time. And Grace was maybe three or four. And we always had this like delicious meal in the hotel. And we never she never saw money being exchanged because they would always just charge it to the hotel. And this was like an insanely expensive resort. And at the end of the vacation, she goes, you know, my favorite thing about Hawaii is everything is free. Because <laughs> she just never saw us paying for anything. And it was like literally like a jabillion dollars. Of course. But she was like, it's a good deal here. It's a really oh good deal. That is so funny. I know. That's amazing. Anyways, Rose, who are you this week? I would say I'm a I'm a classic down the line carry. Okay. Because I've just really been like immersed in writing right now. Like mm. I'm teaching screenwriting classes. I'm writing my own pilot. I'm in a writing fellowship. I had a really fun mixer with a group of writers from an old fellowship. I'm like punching up friends pitches. I just feel very involved. I'm reading a lot of um books and the New Yorker on my own. I just feel very connected to like the craft and passion of writing. It's just a big part of my life. So I feel, I feel like a carry. Okay. That's great. Mm -hmm. You're doing that. That's yeah. It like, feels good. That's a really good feeling. Yeah, it, it, it really is. And I really, I really like it. I like what um, I do. How about that? Okay. I'll take it. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Um, guys. We are Sex in the City podcast, <laughs> and that is why we are getting into a very special episode today. We are talking about season six, episode 19, An American Girl in Paris, part un, which means one. Yes. French. I mean, I really don't want to spoil anything. We're about to get into it. But this episode is really fun to watch. But it's also like we all saw this coming, bitch. Not yeah. a surprise. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, yeah. It's really, it's coming to a, everything's coming to a head. Yeah. This episode could also be called, I told you so, biatch. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's very much every question that was asked last episode <laughs> proves to be the questions that Carrie should ask before she left. Yeah. This episode could also be called like Miranda's raised eyebrow. Yeah. Uh, I love that. Okay. So the episode kicks off with Carrie packing. She's just about to leave for Paris with Alexander and she's got a lot to do. She checks her voicemail as she goes. Alexander called, Miranda called, and Big called. He wants to see her, but Carrie deletes it. It's actually a very good, even though none of us like Alexander, it's really nice to see Carrie, like, not give a fuck and delete a big message, I must say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, yeah. It's also, it's like a, a fun little, like, misdirect that we, we know what's going to happen a little bit, but, like, it's still fun to be like, oh, maybe she's not going to talk to him. Exactly. Um, so, okay. As soon as Carrie steps out the door to meet Miranda for one last dinner, she gets a honk. Big came anyway. He invites her into his car to talk. And then he's like, maybe we should get dinner. So Carrie comes out with it. She's moving to Paris with Alexander and she does not want to see him anymore. They really go at it on the sidewalk and Carrie runs to the core for. This isn't a really intense. Is this where she says, like, I did recently Nothing. watch it. Yeah, this is this is a really great conversation because she says something that's really true where she's like, can you smell when I'm getting over you? Like, you only come to me when I'm over it. Like, I right. really love how powerful she is in this confrontation with him. Um, she just really gives it to him. And it's all everything she says is true. It's like you can't just dash into my life when I'm over you and with someone. It's just yeah. like the ultimate avoidant man or woman or avoidant type of person where it's like, oh, I can't have you. So now I'm extremely interested and I promise that I'll be dedicated. Like, I also love when she's like, you can drive up and down this street as much as you want because I don't live here anymore. <laughs> like, I just love. Oh, I really. That was a I good just, imitation. But yeah. it's true. I mean, all that you anger, and I, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, someone she does it. She flips the double birds. Yeah. Yeah. Jamie did mushrooms, which she <laughs> did not tell us in the intro. But I got four hours of sleep. Jamie got mushrooms. So everybody just like strap in. Everybody's <laughs> strap it to fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy roller coaster. Exactly. I just wanted to confirm that even though we're not going to hear that clip, that little having it out between uh, Carrie and Big is really awesome. And it's kind of six seasons worth of being like, 
you can't keep doing this to me. Yeah, it's all catharsis. It's all purge. It's like we're going to finally say the thing by yep. screaming it out in the street. <laughs> exactly. You know who he is? Who? The boy who cried love. That's who. And just like in the fable, it's too little, too late. Love? He, he said he loved you? No, it's it. No, it. it's an allegory. Look, my point is, he's been doing this for years, years, and I'm done with it. Then just put it all behind you. Oh, it is behind me. I'm mostly upset about him ruining my last night in New York. Well, fuck him. And you know, I never say that. Would you like another cocktail? No, 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 I can't be drunk on the plane. I want to arrive stunning and impossibly fresh looking. Okay. Ladies. Stop. Really, you're going to make me cry. She didn't even say anything yet. But I know it's coming. I want to thank you all for wishing me well tonight. In spite of some of your personal opinions about my leaving. Me? I've never had an opinion in my life. <laughs> you guys, stop. Please. Easy there, waterworks. <laughs> Today I had a thought. What if I, what if I had never met you? my face here again. Yes, tears have to go. Right, someone say something not sentimental. Chemo might have kicked me into early menopause. Task accomplished. <laughs> you cannot believe the hot flashes. I can barely keep my clothes on. Really? What was your excuse before the chemo? <laughs> oh, I'm gonna miss you, you cunt. <laughs> oh. Wow, even cunt didn't stop. That's mm. such an amazing scene. I almost like I cried just like listening no, to it. No, I think listening to it almost was even more intense in some ways. Like, yeah, it's it's just really like beautifully acted. Can I ask a question? This is something I've always wondered <clears throat> with this episode. When Carrie says, "Well, fuck him," and you know, I never say that. What? What? Why does she not swear? That's a and good question. And why is it like brought to our attention? Like, I, I never. You know what I, it could no, be, Jamie? Yeah. It could be that Samantha's the one that swears and they're trying to have four different archetypes. And it's kind of like Samantha swears like a sailor and that's a big part of her personality. So maybe it's just to make Carrie different than Samantha. I think yeah, that sounds right to me, especially given that um, this She's a episode. Writer. Well, that, but also these two episodes are MPK episodes, and it's it seems like the sort of thing that he would like, let's really hit our archetypes here, that like maybe some of the other writers writing dialogue for Carrie wouldn't hit as hard. Yeah, because even in the same scene, she's like, you cunt, I'm going to miss you. It's like, you can't have two characters that are both talking like that. Mm -hmm. No, I know, but I mean, for her to just say, fuck him, I don't think that we needed her to be like, I never say that. It just feels like I've always thought that was like the, it's almost the writers letting us know that they 
deliberately never had her swear. Because I, I don't didn't think, think she meant fuck that. I never say fuck. I thought she meant I never say that to big. I thought yeah. she never. No, but she doesn't say fuck ever. I thought it she was never swears. I, I didn't interpret that as like uh, this is me swearing. I thought it was, and I never talk about big that way. Like I never, I never stand up to myself about big. That's oh, what I thought. See, she was I, I yeah, that's thought, my read. But she's never, but she has never said fuck the entire series. Also, is that so, so it is. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, 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 for sure. I've, I've, I've thought it every time I watch this episode. I was like, why are like what is that? Why are they making her so like? weird and puritanical all of a sudden it's like she's a sex writer i don't know i just it's always been a bump for me um but a, a bump i like i actually do like it um but i just never understood it anyway i thought this episode like listening to it i really like that we have clips because it really helps me i watch the episodes but also just isolating listening it really helps you hear it as a writer as well to hear like what is happening in this scene and i think this is an example of like amazing this is an example of an amazing scene in a comedy TV show and like the kinds of comedies that I like to watch and write are like emotional grounded comedies where there's like real emotional stakes and real relationships. Um, because the beginning of the scene, I definitely, when I watched it was like crying and just, you know, the love between these women and the like, what if I had never met you? It's just, you know, you just, it's so emotional and real and deep. And, um, you know, they're, they're also almost done with this show. There's just a lot there. And yeah. then they spin it really seamlessly and naturally in a way that you could imagine. I mean, that's the grounded part of it of being with a group of friends and being like, okay, we're all like getting really fucked up right now. Can somebody that feels really real, like a really good transition. And, uh, I thought it was a brilliant scene. Cause it's like, we're watching a comedy show and so there has to be jokes in it, but we can do it in a way that's grounded and real and real to the characters and not just like, we need five jokes per page. So let's just put a joke, whether it's emotionally real or not. It just feels like really good writing to me. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not sorry. I don't know why I'm like poking holes in this, but I also thought the like crying and then being like, we can't show our faces here. I was always like, what? Like, why would that stop you from? I don't know. I know that it's I'm, I'm just overanalyzing it. God, Mushroom really Jamie sure why, is has some notes. Yeah, always. I have some notes. I, I, I but I mean, overall, I love this scene. They're just like two small things in this that every time I've watched it, I've always been like, huh? like just little lines yeah. on the on the first first thing said um, front. Is this the first cunt in the in the show? No, I don't think so. Is it? Okay. I, I don't know if it's the first. I feel like Sam has said cunt. that before. I don't know. It did, but no, you're right. It did feel it did feel new. I agree. Yeah, it feels a little bit like a moment word to use. Yes, it's a moment word. I agree. Yeah, I don't think they they definitely don't use it often. I I I'm pretty sure it's the first time, but I could be wrong. But I know that's the first time Carrie says fuck. One thing that's kind of interesting about this scene as well is every single one of these girls, women, excuse me, um, hates big, has always hated big. Every time big's name is even mentioned, they pile on. And it's really interesting. They're they're such that none of them like Alexander. They're they're so not into Alexander and they're so not into this move. But this is the first time that she brings up big 
And Charlotte's like, oh, he said he loved you. And like, none of them are dogging him. Like in a normal situation, she'd go, fuck him. And Miranda would go, yeah, fuck him. He's the worst. And, you know, we hate big. You're so you're so right on. And no one is really, really confirming this, which is strange because they don't like him. No, they don't like him. They don't really like any. The only person they like who she's dated is Aiden. And even then they made fun of him for being like granola. But I also think that what you're pointing to, Rose, is like one of the things that a lot of people got mad at this particular ending for, where it's like we all they as written, Miranda and Samantha in particular don't like big because of everything that he's done to carry like shit. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, I haven't seen the finale finale yet, but like knowing what happens, like this is where like the audience betrayal gets set up in this episode. Yes. Yeah, I just think it's interesting that like they are not fans of Big, but they are so not fans of Alexander. I almost think they think that I think they think that he's almost even a worse match for Carrie because Mm -hmm. Big treats Carrie like shit, but they get it. He's a New York guy. They have shit in common. They understand the charm. I think they feel so like, what the fuck with Alexander that they're like, oh, Big came back. Nobody's even mad about it. Like. Yeah. Right. You can feel them being like, like for Charlotte being like, oh, did he say I love you? It's like, who cares if he did? Like, yeah. it's like right. for her to think that's romantic is just shows how much they really don't support what's going on now. Agreed. So after dinner, Carrie grabs her Carrie necklace from home and takes off. Everyone got a necklace with their name on it after that. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, my God. My sister had one. Samantha, meanwhile, has another dinner with a small group of women who are also breast cancer survivors to talk about planning a breast cancer benefit. Samantha makes one major statement, which is she just does not want to have another pink ribbon cookie at the benefit. She doesn't think they're cute. She doesn't think they're effective. She's also dealing with major hot flashes. And the other women agree with Samantha. The, the, we got to do better than a pink ribbon cookie. They decide they need to give their attendees something big, something exciting, something loud and different. Samantha. They're going to give her Samantha. She has to make a speech that will really hit a home run. And Carrie gets out of her town car officially in Paris. She tries out some French on the concierge at the hotel who quickly directs her to Alexander. Carrie finds him draped over some cigarette-smoking 20-something hussy. Actually, it's not a hussy. It's Chloe, Alexander's daughter. Carrie. Well, we <laughs> <Sorry>. don't know. <laughs> also, she might be his daughter and a hussy. Carrie, yeah. she might. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Carrie tries to talk to them, but it's awkward. Carrie loves the Eiffel Tower, but Chloe thinks it's an eyesore. Carrie likes talking about boys. Chloe thinks it's lame. Carrie agrees to have dinner later on with Alexander so Alexander and Chloe can play catch up without Carrie Um, because, yeah, Carrie feels awkward. Also, Carrie does look very chic. I really do like her outfit, even though it's like stripes on stripes. But she does look great when she lands in Paris. Yeah, it's super cute. She looks really chic, a little hat. Um, She loves a little hat. Yeah. (laughs) Basically, Carrie arrives and immediately the dream is like, oh, it's my basically stepdaughter-in-law and all this, you know, everything's just a little more negative than she thought. Yeah. Carrie heads up to her room to get settled and the place is lavish. She steps out onto the balcony, which has an incredible view of the Eiffel Tower. She's really here. But she ends up just waiting around. Alexander completely blows their dinner plans. Back in New York, Charlotte and Harry get the ball rolling on adoption. 
It's a lot of paper wrangling, but they are invested. Carrie, meanwhile, passes out in her hotel room. When Alexander finally shows up, he apologizes because he had to be at the gallery late. And yeah, he just showed up really, really late. Yeah, he also rifles through her massive Chanel dress, which was very iconic. So they seem to be all good again. They're just kind of cutesy with each other, even though, yeah, he fully flaked on dinner. Mm -hmm. Over at Samantha's, she's practicing her breast cancer speech with Smith. If you want to see the face of breast cancer, look around you. It's the woman next to you at the dry cleaners, the nurse in pediatrics, the single mother picking her child up from school. Are you sure the heat is off? Fucking chemo. Where was I? She's the woman with a knowing smile. A smile that says, I beat cancer. I can take on the world. Ta-da. It's good, huh? What is that? It's kind of stiff. I just thought it would sound more like you. It's an inspirational speech. At A, the most inspirational speakers are the ones who keep it real. Keep it real? I'm speaking at a black tie benefit, not chilling at P. Diddy's crib. I'm just saying, the truth is powerful. Uh, look, uh, you may know AA, oh but God. I know PR. Now, if you'll excuse me, I simply must stick my head in the freezer. You may know AA, but I know PR. It's very, it's very clever. I love that writing. Me too. It's really shocking, that speech. It is so unlike Samantha. It's, it's almost hard to believe that she would even believe that that was correct. Considering she goes on this long rail of like, fuck these little pink cutesy ribbon cookies. Like, let's get real. Let's get raw. Let's yeah. get exciting. And then she delivers the equivalent of a pink ribbon cookie speech. Mm-hmm. Weird. That is a really smart assessment. Um, the only thing I can think of to justify it is that she is in PR. So I could see her maybe even getting in her own way of being like, this is how it's done. This is how you're supposed to say things. I think um, that's really true. I think that's a perfect interpretation. That's the only that's the only thing, because what you're saying is 100 percent true and just a really excellent point. Um, but, yeah, I could see her even thinking like. I'll show you how it's done. And then it's still kind of like this watered down sort of safe facade type of speech. And then I really appreciate that Smith is the one who's like calling her out. Like it, to me, that's like that's such a sign of a great relationship is that, you know, you especially as writers, like we wrote something and it like wasn't good. Enough. It wasn't it wasn't good enough. It wasn't like really reflective of us as yeah. like our point of view. Yeah, you'd want someone I would, to tell you. I would want someone to be like, it's not great. <laughs> Yeah, mm-hmm. you can do better. Yeah. I also think that like what it ends up becoming when she actually delivers the speech is like obviously why the women tap Samantha to give the speech in the first place when like everybody takes off their wigs and it's like a real moment. Um, but trying to manufacture that moment is a really different like Samantha gets the ideal PR moment, but trying to manufacture that moment could have totally fallen flat, could have been could have not happened. And so I see the logic for Samantha to do the safe thing initially to at least then get to the bigger, more exciting thing, which I really like as a turn. To me, me I, I think your point, um, Jamie, is exactly correct because it made me kind of feel like whenever the characters do something that is out of character, it, 
makes me feel like, was this a bad writing move just to serve plot? Like, oh, she had to give a bad speech so that then she could break it and make a good speech. But then I, I think that you're right. I think that it is justified being like, if your job is literally to help actors and chefs and these people mm-hmm. like cover scandals and just like do these like apologies and right. do these kinds of like softball speeches, then that makes, I think that's a perfect, I think that's a really good Yeah, she literally even says, you know, AI, I know PR. I also think as somebody that is in 12 step, like that's so astute of Smith. And it's so true, like that it's kind of like whether you're in a 12 step meeting or you're in a pitch meeting, it's like when people are being raw and real and vulnerable and authentic, that's when you lean forward and that's when Mm -hmm. you like sell a show or connect with people it's just like it's a really good reminder like this i know what you're saying it's like this this scene sort of applies to a lot of different scenarios in life where going you going real yeah you can also try to be like sort of buttoned up and perfect and it's like so uninteresting like no one no one connects with perfect people connect with flaw exactly it's it's a nice reminder to like yeah you don't have to like you can drop the act yeah. And that's what people connect to. And uh, definitely. Yeah. It's interesting that she's kind of saying, yes, that works in like a therapy circle, but that does not work in like high society at a black tie event. And yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, th- this is. Uh, yeah. It makes me really like Smith a lot. Mm-hmm, me too. Um, OK, so Carrie heads out for some shopping in Paris. As soon as she gets to Dior, she slips on a puddle inside the door and goes flying across the floor of the store (laughs) back with Alexander. I know back with Alexander. She picks through her handbag to make sure that she got everything from the big spill, but she didn't. Her carry necklace is missing. She heads out for a walk where she spots a Parisian core four and gets homesick. So she calls Miranda. And just to sort of like reiterate, like, Everything since the moment she lands is not what she thought. It's a lot Mm -hmm. lonelier. Her boyfriend's not really available. She doesn't speak the language. She can't talk to people. She goes to this big fancy store and makes herself look like an idiot. And then it's so beautiful and so smart that the writers have her sitting there and just seeing girlfriends laughing and having fun because it just reminds you, you can be in the most chic, romantic, beautiful city. This you is what be- I was talking about before. It's the same thing. It's like Paris is not th- the the place you go is not the fix. Like you have to be solid and in a good place or your relationship has to be solid and in a good place. It's because people- I think that. Yeah, go ahead. No, uh, sorry. I was interrupting you. It's just relationships and closeness and bonds make something fun. You could be at the f- most yes. fun vacation party city if you don't have anyone right. to share it with it's extremely lonely um it's so true yeah but to to your point specifically jamie my um my buddhist mentor always says like you could be sleep sweeping the floor in your apartment and be totally present and joyful and feel good and you could also be on an expensive vacation and be depressed and miserable if yep. you're not in a good headspace it's it, as you just said, it's completely about where you are with yourself. Yeah, it's where wherever you go, there you are. Like, it's yeah, true. Like, you, you can't there's no like location change that can fix either your relationship or your own personal state of mind. Yeah. And I think especially in this case, the idea that like just because somewhere is beautiful and chic, it's like doesn't mean it can't be extremely lonely. Right. So basically, um, 
Carrie calls Miranda and she's just being really, really vulnerable and just really admitting how hard it is here and how lonely she is and how she can't stop thinking about big. And she's really heartbroken that she lost her Carrie necklace, which is this big symbol of who she actually is. She's in a relationship right now where she's really lost herself. And the necklace that says Carrie that is totally an appropriated necklace from like Puerto Rican and black culture, you know, it's, but it's very New York. It's like, this is who I actually am. And so losing the necklace is like this big, like I'm losing myself. And Miranda just tells her to come home, you know, but they get cut off. So Carrie will just have to keep dealing with Paris for right now. And Samantha gives her big speech at the benefit. Unfortunately, Smith was right. It is way too stiff. As the audience starts to tune her out, Samantha gives in. She opens up in an honest way about her hot flashes, and she takes off her wig and throws it in the air. As soon as she does, so do a number of the women in the audience. It is quite the moment, and it's very Samantha. I loved that turn because it's not like she was telling this boring speech and then she's she realized something different and then just said a real authentic speech. I love that it was truly just a like an action. Like I love yeah. that it was just a big dramatic action, which is really interesting to watch as as an audience. And it's an interesting thing for an actor to do. It's like it's a much more impactful plot move than just to be like, OK, now she's going to say something different. Right. It's kind of cool that they they did a sh- you know a show instead of tell. Yeah, I like that she took off her wig, but she wasn't doing it to be like raw raw gather behind me. It's like that just happened to be the side effect of her exactly do- taking off her wig. It's yeah. like everyone found it to be like more inspiring than she even realized. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's what I meant earlier too. Just when I was like just talking about like planning that moment, Samantha like saying like, and then halfway through my speech, I'm going to take off my wig, and that's going to inspire mm-hmm. everybody to do the same thing could be very false and could totally not work. But that it comes from like Samantha being uncomfortable makes it work. And also is the thing that like make not just makes the moment work, but delivers on what the women who wanted Samantha to speak wanted from Samantha as the speaker. Right. Right. So Charlotte heads to Carrie's to pick up the letter of recommendation she wrote for the adoption, which is so sweet. While she scans the empty apartment, she spots Carrie's laptop. Carrie didn't even take it with her, which is really intense, I mean, actually, if you think about insane. it. Yeah. yeah, it's actually crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even just to check email. Like, yeah, that, that, I had the same thought. Like, it's like a sweet thing or like, I guess it's, it's a big tell, but also like Carrie's probably going to do work at some point. Like, I don't know why you would leave that. <laughs> right. I thought it was really I thought it was a really effective symbol of mm-hmm. becoming a groupie and losing herself. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It it does work. It I does think work. it does the like, job, especially like in the pandemic when everyone's working from home. You're like, you could work from Paris, like just bring your laptop like this whole episode. You could just you could definitely keep doing your job from Paris. <laughs> yeah, I also but, just think like as a writer, it's always just really creative and hip and intelligent. If you can say a lot with a prop or just like showing something instead of saying, I feel like I'm giving myself up. You don't have to say that. She left her laptop. Like to me, that's sophisticated writing. writing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Show don't tell. Exactly. So Charlotte sits down and Carrie's phone rings. She hears 
the person leave a voicemail and it's big again. So he starts to leave a voicemail and she picks it up. He says he loves Carrie. And so they decide they have to meet. Well, I know I haven't been your favorite over the years. I wouldn't say that. I would. Well, God knows I've made a lot of mistakes with Carrie. I fucked it up many times. I know that. Look, I need your advice. You three know her better than anyone. You're the loves of her life. And the guy's just lucky to come in fourth. I love that line. You. But I do love her. And if you think I have the slightest chance, I'll be on the next plane to Paris. I'll roam the streets until I find her. I'll do anything. But if you think that she really is happy. Well, I, I wouldn't want to wreck that for her. And I'll be history. Go get our girl. That is such an amazing line when mm. he says, you are the loves of her life and a guy is lucky to come in fourth. What a like humbling, you know, he's, he did such a bad job making friends with her friends and integrating in her life. But at the very fucking least, he knows you're the crux of her life. You're the foundation of her yeah. life. And even though I really shit the bed, I respect it and I get it. Yeah. Yeah. It makes him very, it's a redeeming. It's a redeeming moment. Also, yes. it's so fun that Miranda is the one to be like, go get her, you know, because uh, you could have. I mean, it would definitely be less exciting, but you could have Charlotte be like, I think it's sweet. Like, you know, she. <laughs> yeah. Should, oh, I yeah. love romance. Like, yeah, I'm totally. so glad that it was dead silence. And then Miranda, like the biggest skeptic of them all, was like, go do it. That's totally right. And. It also says a lot to me that, like, if he wants to be part of her life, he needs to start working with these girls and not just having yes. a separate relationship with Carrie. Yes. And so yes. it's sort of like they're starting to build like, hey, if you're going to be her partner, like you need to know us. We're a resource for you. If Carrie gets sick, we're all going to work together. If something happens to her family, we'll all be together. And it's like them starting to operate as like he's the fifth wheel in a good way, you know? Yeah, that's a really good point. I never really thought about that prior, like in, in past watchings. But um, that's a really good point that this actually is a big turning point for the series and for the episode is that he is going to them and starting to kind of like ingratiate himself with them, um, which is something he's just never really made an effort to do. And we already saw Alexander didn't try at all, really. I mean, he is he's like the least interested in becoming friends with Carrie's friends, it feels like. <laughs> so I think it was really telling and significant to watch Big kind of be like, you know, like, I submit, you guys are the loves of her life. Like, like uh, you know, like, whatever I need to do to join forces with you to, like, be another love in Carrie's life, I will do. I think it's a very romantic scene, and we're all getting really swept up in this, but I do have to just put on 
like a bit of a rational, cynical hat for a second and say that in general, um, we've talked a lot about attachment styles and big certainly has anxious, I mean, avoidant attachment. And one of the pillars of avoidant attachment is you always fantasize about relationships once you're out of them. Like when you're Mm. in them, you can't really commit, but as soon as they're over, you're like, that was the love of my life. I miss you. And you idealize them because you can't be in them, but when they're over, then you can appreciate them because there's no Mm. fear of being suffocated because it's over. So then you can Mm. actually say the things you wish you could have said and stuff. Mm. And I, and I also think it's, it's really classic avoidant behavior to only fight for somebody or want to be with them when they are not available. And so like, if this were a real, if these were all real people, I don't think it would be romantic. I would be extremely worried about Carrie because I think in reality, a person like big would go to Paris ask her to marry him, marry her. And then in three months, just like all of a sudden be really cold and really distant and not even necessarily cheat, but just like, he's not somebody that has, is able to be intimate unless he did some enormous amount of self-work. I don't see why that would change all of a sudden in my, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that was very much my bump on this scene and this arc really just not knowing what has gone on in Big's life off screen that brought him to the point that Carrie's not just his Back viable up. romantic partner again, but like a person he's going to go to Paris to retrieve. It's like it's it, these are very, very big moves for him, like as a human being and not knowing what drove them are makes the whole thing play a little a little less emotionally uh, effectively for me watching. Yeah, I also feel like. Oh, it's really hard to say because like I do think I love romance. I'm a total romantic, but in some ways it feels like Carrie is a love addict for sure. She cannot be single. She would much rather just throw herself into a toxic relationship than just take two minutes to like figure herself out. And she just swings from one person to the next. And it feels like she swung into a really toxic relationship with Alexander where she just erased herself. Mm-hmm. This like almost middle-aged woman with an amazing career and an identity and a friend and friends literally just gave up everything to become a plus one to someone's life. And then yeah. the only thing that's going to bring her back is another guy being like, now be with me. It just feels really yeah. unempowered kind of. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, yeah, I think a lot of tropes that we see in romantic comedies and, and romance movies, they are, you know, in a way, romance is always depicted as very unempowered. Like, it's, it, you know, I think that we're moving in a direction where maybe that'll happen less. But when you think of, like, the movies that you find to be, like, so romantic and so adorable, there usually is a level of, like, yeah. oh, if this were happening in the real world, this person's, like, kind of needs to, like, be in therapy and get their shit together and, like, find a way to value themselves over this other person. Yes. And it kind of just makes me worried because it's like, if the only reason you got out of this really toxic relationship is that another toxic person came and quote unquote rescued you. It's like, is that romantic? Is that progress? It's like, we would hope that Carrie could wake up and say, shit, I'm in a country and I'm a groupie. I'm just, I'm just, I'm living in a foreign country as my whole identity is being this guy's girlfriend. This is bad for me. I got to get out of here. I should go back home instead of being like, 
this guy came and saved me like I'm a princess in a castle, yeah. you know? Well, at least we have Miranda making those comments in the mm-hmm. last episode. Like, at least that, that viewpoint is represented a little bit through Miranda. It would be way worse if no one was saying it. That's true. I mean, the thing is, I think people really like to shit on Carrie a lot, even big fans of the show. And I feel like as a writer and also as a person, I don't really like judging people that much. I think that Carrie is a love addict, but that's not a judgment. That's just an observation. No, I think that's true. I think that, that yeah, I think that's, I think it's, it actually is like kind of comforting to give her that label because it just explains so much. Yeah. And I think that it's like very easy I think people are really like triggered by her behavior. And when in real life, if something really bothers you that someone else does, it's because there's a part of you that identifies with it. And so you have to be like when you're disgusted or repulsed by somebody who has nothing to do with you's behavior, it's because there's something inside of you that's like, oh, I secretly identify with absolutely. that. Because otherwise it wouldn't like disgust. No, you. it wouldn't like, yeah, it wouldn't like shake you to your core the same way. And I think a lot of us have done stuff like Carrie. A lot of us have Definitely. swung from one thing to the next or yes. needed a guy to help us figure shit out. It's very normal. It's just we're just analyzing it. So that's why we're talking about it. But it's not like, oh, she does this thing that I would never deign to do, you know? Right. Yeah, because there's also like, I mean, there are so many elements of this show and especially Carrie's arcs, arc that is like fantasy level. Like she's moving to Paris with a famous artist. Like right. it, these are like truly especially in the world of romantic comedy like dream level end goals for characters and and to hate that is uh seems like an extreme reaction that i agree is totally very telling about the person that i also think let's be honest all of her best friends her chosen family have all moved on they're all married Mm -hmm. they're all they're all i mean not married but they're all in like super loving committed relationships one of them has a kid. One of them's on the way to have a kid. She's the fourth wheel. And she just saw a single woman in her 40s fall out of a fucking balcony. It's like if that were all going on and this handsome rich guy was like, come with me. I mean, probably we would all at least go and realize we made the mistake, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, this brings us to the question of the episode. But guys, there is no question of the episode because Carrie quit her column. So we're moving on to our final segment, which is I'm horny for sex in the city is obviously a very horny show. So we end each episode by sharing what we're currently horny for. Rose, what are you horny for right now? I've got a lot of horny for us. But before we go, because it's such a big deal that she doesn't quit, that that, that she quits the column. So there's no episode log line. Um, I think it goes without saying, but I think it does merit if we're not going to do a question of the episode at the very least a PSA. Um, mm. If you have to quit your profession purpose career spiritual calling for a relationship um it's not the relationship (laughs) it's bad bad yeah the right person isn't going to necessitate you to literally stop doing what you've been put on earth to do right right i I just thought we needed to do a quick psa if a romantic partner ever asks you to erase yourself for them (laughs) that's a bad sign (laughs) yeah turns out they're not a it's not a great relationship for you he just wanted a siamese cat to just like casually be at his house sometimes yeah Yeah, exactly exactly. he did not want a woman he wanted a cat exactly (laughs) okay so i've got a handful of horny force because it is covid and there's not a lot of activity so i i consume a lot of media the first thing i will say that i'm super horny for i don't think you will need a subscription to the new yorker to read this article i'm pretty sure you could probably just read it online 
This was a great article. It's called The Shape of Love from Opposite Sides of the Culture. Polyamorous and polygamous are challenging family norms by Andrew Solomon. And it's a fascinating That's article. That's what I just started reading it. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, I will just give a quick spiel about it. I'm so excited it. to listen to the rest of it today. Yeah. It's a fascinating article because it investigates how polygamy uh, in America is generally tied to Mormonism, which is very conservative right wing culture. And polyamory is generally tied to left wing culture, young people, Gen Z's, queer culture. Oh, my God. I'm so excited to read this. And it's just really interesting because these two really opposing cultures, left wing culture and right wing culture are coming together for marriage rights. And I have to say that I think this article was really important for someone like me to read because I was not just a person who was like, I know that polyamory is wrong for me. I think I honestly had judgment and sort of had this snobby belief that like, it's kind of wrong for everybody. And and then if you're doing it, you're like either lying. It was a very judgmental belief. I think I thought that either you were, you've had trauma or you're lying to yourself or I, I, or you just can't commit. I think I, it was one of those short-sighted things where it's like, well, because it's not right for me, I can't imagine it being right for anybody. And then I read the article and I just realized how short-sighted my thinking was. Cause it's like, I'm not gay, but just because I'm not gay, it's not like being gay is wrong or, or says it shouldn't exist. And I think that I'm starting to get to the age where it's really easy to become very traditional and conservative and be like, look at this new stuff that's happening. It's wrong. Like that's why people get conservative as they get older, because these new things can be a little threatening, frankly. And like they are threatening. And it is very threatening, especially for someone like me. I have abandonment issues. The idea of being in love with somebody who is dating other people or falling in love with other people would be extremely yeah. traumatic for me. But just because it's not a good fit for me doesn't mean that people that had very secure upbringings and are in very secure relationships that are having a lot of fun exploring things outside of that in a loving, mutual way. I don't think that I should be shitting on that. So I thought it was a really good read for me because I think it helped open my mind to like just growing a little and accepting that just because something isn't right for me, that it can't be right for others type of thing. Oh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I just started because I listened to articles now on that autumn app that I shouted out a few episodes back during horny fours. Anyone who's listening, it really, if you, if you feel like you're like me and can't, you don't have the attention span to just like sit down and read something. Um, yeah, listen, you can listen to these articles on that app. It's a U D M. And I think you pay like $8 a month or something and you can access all these articles and just like listen to them while you're walking or whatever. So and then um, I have yeah. one more horny for if that's okay. Oh, could I say one thing yeah. on that piece really quick? Oh yeah, please guy. Did you read it? Yes. I loved it. I just wanted to say, um, Andrew Solomon wrote this book called far from the tree, which I read a few years ago, which mm. was like a times 10 to best book. That is How was incredible. It? It's, mm. it's so, so excellent. His whole concept in it is he's exploring uh what are, what he terms horizontal identities so like children whose identity groups don't align with their parents oh, so people with disabilities like he he himself identifies with that given that he's gay oh, um, and his parents were straight so right. it's like it's such an interesting rich it's nonfiction. no 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 it's it's a really really reported piece of nonfiction. like he 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 profiles oh, cool tons and tons of to different communities like I'll definitely deaf that. people it's it's incredible it's really really okay, good thank you and then the other thing i would recommend is um there is a, a really incredibly wise and, and wonderful meditation teacher named tara brock it's yeah. t-a-r-a 
B-R-A-C-H. And she has a podcast. And I don't listen to every episode, but she had one, the most recent one. Let me get, tell you guys what the name is, because it's really, I found it really impactful. And I feel like readers around my, I mean, readers, listeners around my age will also. It was called, you can find it on any podcast app or you can find it on her website. It was called Fear of Aging, Finding Freedom in This Impermanent World. Love that. And it's just kind of about how like, I mean, I definitely feel like, you know, I'm approaching middle age and I'm seeing it physically and it's just an interesting time of life. I think it's a really intense time of life for women. Um, I think everything from your looks to fertility and just a lot is going on. And I think it's really nice to hear her thoughts on impermanence and kind of trying to go with life instead of fight against it and sort of suffer unnecessarily and sort of just as best you can, like embrace change instead of fighting it, um, which I think is extremely hard for women, uh, but worth investigating and trying to do. So that those are my recs. Great. Jamie, what are you horny for? What, oh, I'm horny for a podcast uh, called Maintenance Phase. Mm, and love. it's with Michael Hobbs from um, You're Wrong About. Mm-hmm. And then um, I forget the woman's name. She's so funny. Yes, Aubrey Gordon. Yes. Um, yeah, the two of them are so wonderful. Have you listened to the podcast? Yeah, I think I shouted out the snake oil episode, didn't I? Oh, shit. Did you? you Was that referenced- last week? I think you referenced it, but it wasn't your direct oh, horny for. No, you should oh, definitely. Oh, wasn't a horny for. Oh, I'm going to listen to Snake Oil. It's amazing. Yeah, I haven't listened to that one yet. I'm obsessed with it. Okay, yeah. Well, anyways, uh, here, here. I totally agree. Great podcast all about just sort of debunking the bullshitness of the dieting industry. And each episode is about a different like fad diet. They did one on Dr. Oz. Um, I just listened to one on the Master Cleanse, which was super interesting. And yeah, it's just they're so like smart and charming and they do such a good job researching for these podcasts. And I just think it's like, yeah, you learn a lot and you laugh a lot. So, yeah, maintenance I'm with phase. you. What an education. It's like it's almost crazy that it's free because you're like, I'm getting crazy. so much. No, I'm like, this is like better than school. Like, it's incredible. Honestly, you can learn so much these days without paying. Every high schooler cent. should listen to this. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, So, yeah, maintenance phase, big fan. And that is the end of our episode. And thank you guys so much for listening. Next week is the finale, which is fucking crazy that we're there, but we're there. I mean, I just want to say a little like, you know, we have one episode left of this whole fucking show. No, no, that's not. Oh, oh, yeah. I was going to say not the podcast because we're doing. No, of the whole of of this particular show. And it's been such a pleasure. And it's been such, such an amazing journey. I mean, we, we'll, we'll do, we'll do a wrap up, but, um, yeah, I, I can't believe we're here already. I mean, we, I Jamie, know. when did we start this? Like two years ago, two years ago, next week's episode is the 100th episode we've released. So just Whoa. short. Yeah. Just That's short of two crazy. years. Because we've been talking about sex and city every episode for two for years, two years. Holy shit. Well, it's been a goddamn dream and a gift and i love you guys and i'm excited to do the finale next week i love you guys too and i can't wait yeah love you bye 
Thanks for listening to Couldn't Help a Wonder. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at chbwpod. And follow my co-host, Rose Cerno, on Insta and Twitter at Rose Cerno. And please follow my co-host, Jamie, at ReallyJamieLee on Instagram and at TheJamieLee on Twitter. And please rate, review, subscribe to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. If you're nasty, it helps us. It helps you. It helps everyone. You're nasty. Bye. Bye. Forever. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Joe Cilio, Alex Ramsey, and Brett Boehm. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcast.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook. Mm-hmm.